since the Civil War ended, the struggle to define the meaning of the Confederate battle flag continues today. We'll discuss it further with John Kosky, author of The Confederate Battle Flag, America's Most Embattled Emblem, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. How much time each day do you spend managing your personal or business calendar? 15 minutes, a half an hour, maybe more. Is the conference room available for next week's meeting? And how many people do you have to ask to find out? Have you ever misplaced or, worse yet, lost your day planner or handheld device? And what do you do about that missing information? Do you own or operate a salon or carpets cleaning business? How about a realty office or any one of a thousand other service-based organizations? Can your customers make their appointments even when your office is closed? If any of this sounds familiar, then Schedule Online is the solution for you. For more information, call toll-free 888-668-3355. That's 888-668-3355. Or visit us online at www.schedulonline.com. Before we return to our riveting drama, our sponsor insists that we listen to a radio show about television. I'm Jim Benson, host of A Different Sort, as I direct you toward a galaxy of TV memories guaranteed to leave you spellbound while I present many of the greatest legends in television history on the TV Time Machine, every Wednesday beginning at 4 p.m. right here on World Talk Radio. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. To speak with our show hosts or guests during the live show, call us toll-free in North America, 888-514-2100. Everywhere else, call 001-858-268-3068. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. This is Jerry Prokopovich. John Kosky, author of The Confederate Battle Flag, America's Most Embattled Emblem. Well, John, we were talking about the use of the flags during the war by the soldiers themselves. And you wrote some interesting things in your book about the shape of the Confederate battle flag, which I was not so familiar with. I wonder if you could share a bit about that. It's an issue of, of, of discussion today uh, in the controversies over the flag, as some people will uh, accurately uh, uh, will actually make the note that the um, the Confederate battle flag officially is a square. That, uh, that it's the same pattern we're used to seeing with the blue cross, but it's square, and that the rectangular one that is the most frequently seen today in all of its various uses uh, is the naval jack that was adopted for use at sea, uh, or the Army of Tennessee pattern battle flag that was adopted um, in for the Confederacy's Western Army in late 1863, early 1864, and handed out and tried an effort by Joe Johnston to standardize the flag. Uh, and there, of course, there are other variations within the Confederacy itself. Uh, all of them, though, are uh, the same, have the same basic symbolic power then and now. That is, the, the blue St. Andrew's Cross or the Saltier, as it officially was. Uh, regardless of size and shape, uh, became such an important uh, element in Confederate nationalism and symbolism. 
the, the shape of the flag declared square in, 18, in 1904 by the United Confederate Veterans, so it was, which is kind of odd because the UCV, as you know, was uh, based in Nashville, Tennessee, in the heart of the uh, Western Army's territory. And yet this organization declared that square flag the official battle flag, ignoring all the other patterns, the Hardy patterns and Polk patterns and, and the rest, and for that matter, the Army of Tennessee variation on that flag that was carried uh, in the last year and a half of the war, and it more or less wrote it out of existence 40 years after the war. Well, it's interesting. Normally, the the shape of the battle flag is the kind of thing that would be dear to the hearts of uh, modelers or reenactors or uh, perhaps painters who want to capture uh, technical details. And historians might say, you know, it's not that critical. But as you point out, this really has much more to do with the flag after the war than during the war. Uh, the very fact, as you say, the, the UCV decides posthumously what the shape of the flag was during the war. How did the flag get used in, in those years after the war? From A lot. Uh, we tend to think uh, that after the war, the United States government cracked down on all symbols of the Confederacy. And we have evidence that buttons and insignia and the like had to be removed from the clothes of the returning veterans. Uh, no orders that I can find specifically forbidding the battle flag from being used, but it was understood, and there's a couple of incidents that I use in the book to show how it was understood that they weren't to carry, especially during the military occupation of the South. But for most of us, at least for me, it's, uh, it was surprising how soon after the war the flag uh, was used in memorial and uh, commemorative events, Memorial Day uh, events, and um, at monument dedications, at funerals of Confederate soldiers and generals, beginning really in the 18, late 1860s and certainly by the 1870s with the end of Reconstruction in most of the South. And by 1900, it was it's fair to say that the flag was uh, was used widely, uh, in but in those fairly restricted ways. And it's 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 a point of contrast to what we as 20th century citizens, or now 21st century citizens, are used to. The flag proliferated and used in all kinds of ways. But in the years roughly from the end of the war through up to the beginning of World War II, the flag was widely used but in limited ways that we can safely, maybe we can see in retrospect, were clearly commemorative, memorial, reverential. And it was more or less, with some exceptions of course, uh, the exclusive property of those who revered it, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, the Sons of Confederate Veterans, the United Confederate Veterans, and other memorial organizations, more or less had control over its use and its meaning. So it was, it's used in a memorial sense, used by these organizations. Uh, one of the other remarkable things about this period uh, from your book, I thought, was that the North acquiesces in the use of the emblem of the, the forces it has just defeated, Certainly by 1900, uh, by the, the era of reconciliation around the Spanish-American War. Yes. What, uh, what, what's going on there? Well, Spanish-American War is a lot of it, but it's also, it, it is, uh, and I didn't intend, I didn't uh, enter into the research with this in mind because I had never heard of David Blight before uh, researching this book, but uh, it is a very much of a reflection of what David Blight discusses in his book, Race and Reunion. It is the, the symbolic counterpart of how the North acquiesced in general to the South. Uh, they, in, in a sense, agreed to disagree on the causes of the war, but shook hands across the bloody chasm uh, when it came to the soldiers. We can respect each other's fighting men. 
And this battle flag, as the symbol of the fighting man primarily, we can respect it even if we agree to disagree on the causes of the war. We were right, you were wrong, but your soldier, you, you as soldiers fought bravely. And the Spanish-American War had a lot to do with that, and that in turn had a lot to do with the return of the battle flags that had been captured and held as trophies, returning them by the War Department, the U.S. government, to the states and directly to this, the Confederate Museum, in 1905 and 1906. So it was a kind of symbolic uh, uh, counterpart to the rapprochement between North and South, and it has a lot to do as well with race. Unfortunately, it uh, it is the same thing that David describes in his book about uh, white Southerners, white Northerners agreeing to disagree on the tough issues and essentially uh, writing the African-American participation out of the war. It was a bargain among between opposing sides of whites. And it was also the North buying into uh, a vision of the battle flag that I find ultimately to be inaccurate, that is that the battle flag can be separated from the national flag, so we can say that this is the flag of the soldier only, regardless of its shape and size, that it, um, a, we can respect it as the flag of the sh- soldier and it has nothing to do with the flag of the nation. Clearly that's inaccurate, because when the Confederacy created a second national flag in 1863, it was the square battle flag emblazoned on a field of white, that blue cross on the red field had become so consecrated and had become so central to Confederate nationalism that midway through the war when the South, when this Confederate South was looking for a more, a stronger symbol of its growing sense of itself and its nationalism, it reached for the Confederate battle flag. So that flag really, uh, the, the misnomer of calling it the Confederate flag in a sense isn't that inaccurate because it's adopted by the South even as early as during the war itself. Yeah. I would argue that there's a, and this is mixed for confusion on talk radio and even in talking to groups uh, to try to sort all this out, but the, I guess the long and the short of it is it's inaccurate in a de jure, official sense, to call it the flag of the, of the Confederacy, but it's more accurate than people know in a de facto way. And, and it wasn't that we as Americans have short historical consciousness or become, as we all know, historically stupid over the the decades. That was true during the Confederacy itself. It was the Confederate generation itself that made this cross pattern flag to be the central icon of the Confederacy. It is important for me to add that it is still very much the flag of the soldier, and all that I said before the break about the importance of that flag to the soldier and how the soldiers defined it with their blood is true. But it, it also follows that we can't stop there. We have to understand that it is also and has been interpreted over the 140 years as a flag of the of Confederate nationalism and of the Confederate cause, whatever you think that cause is or was. So the flag is used then by memorial groups, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, the Sons of Confederate Veterans, through the first half of the 20th century. Uh, as you point out, in a very reverential way, this is also the era when the United States flag, the, the I think you call it the cult of the, the flag, arises partly, I would argue, in response to the immigration of the early 20th century in an attempt to Americanize newcomers yes. uh, by teaching them loyalty to the flag. You have uh, a real fetish made of how the flag is to be treated. You have Flag Day. Uh, the idea of sewing the flag as a patch on your clothing or wearing a, a cap of the flag would be considered... Uh, blasphemous if not illegal in that era something of a taboo there was a taboo associated with improper use of flags and and, and 
Mississippi, the uh, for some reason is still sort of a little bit mysterious. Uh, the Confederate flag was added to the state laws uh, that uh, forbid the um, uh, misuse of the U.S. flag. So no states, so so no one is is, is waving these flags other than at patriotic memorial celebrations, either the United States flag or the Confederate flag. And then after World War II, you have this remarkable uh, fad of 1950 to 52, which I, I found very interesting. What happened then? That was, yeah, that, that uh, was an eye-opener for us when we were researching this subject in, in the early 1990s. Uh, it's not true to say that no one was waving it before World War II, but there were exceptions, and there were enough exceptions that our scholarly colleagues brought to my attention while researching this, and I added a chapter to explore the exceptions, because but still, it's a safe generalization, I think. Uh, the flag fad emerged um, for a couple of different causes, and uh, it, it shows the evolution over time to the point that uh, there were people who were waving it for reasons other than strict reverential ones. That, uh, the, and it became a symbol of the South, of a regional symbol. And the, and the best guess, and it is still somewhat speculative, is that the Kappa Alpha Fraternity, which was in itself a memorial organization, founded at Washington College when Robert E. Lee was president of the college. So it was very much in the spirit of a memorial organization. But let's not forget it was also a college uh, fraternity, and we know what that means. And I think it was through that avenue that a symbol that was treated reverentially within, and still is by Kappa Alpha, uh, as a rule, also became part of campus life. And fads we know, are almost always youth-driven. And the flag fad of the 19, early 1950s, late 1940s, was youth-driven. And there were seeds of it uh, as southern schools began to play northern schools in college football and in college intercollegiate sports before and during the, the World War II and before the critical year of 1948. Uh, before then, the flag was uh, being used by college students, not just at places like Ole Miss, where we tend to associate it, but at University of Virginia. The Virginia students went north to play Penn in 1947, and the students and their supporters looking for something to rally the troops as they invaded Pennsylvania one more time. This time we're going to win. They brought the battle flag, which by that point had a campus presence and had begun to... Um, to have to establish its meaning as a, one of its meanings today is as a kind of a shorthand, immediately recognizable logo of the South, uh, and the same was true of U.S. troops in World War II, Southern-born servicemen who wanted to say that I'm American, but I'm also a Southerner. Confederate battle flag, not the stars and bars, but the battle flag, and it, I think it was through that agency that it entered the popular culture, but it also, at the same time. Confusing it with that, it became a political symbol. That's in 1948. In 1948, as, and the parallel is this: this is why I say it's impossible to make the the distinction between the battle flag and the national flags, uh, or at least to, to say that it's only a soldier's flag and that it was not understood to be a flag of Confederate nationalism or the Confederate cause. In the 1860s, when the Confederate when the Confederate South and white Southerners wanted a symbol of their mature nationalism uh, they and independence, they reached for the St. Andrew's Cross pattern. That's what symbolized their mature independence, of, of independence from a, an intrusive U.S. federal government that was trying to change the South's way of life. In the 1940s, the U.S. government and the Truman administration once again began to interfere with the South's way of life, that is, segregation. 
And when the Southern States' Rights Party formed in 1948, the Dixiecrat Party, the supporters of that party, once again youthful supporters, college students serving as delegates, reached for the Confederate battle flag as a symbol of their party, which was resisting the effort of the federal government to interfere with the South's way of life. Uh, that's the way they interpreted that symbol, to mean uh, opposition to federal interference. And even though the party didn't necessarily want that symbol, it, it caught on and became a very popular symbol in the late 1940s, in part because of this football gridiron tradition in the World War II soldiers who were proud Americans of Southern descent, but clearly also it had taken on a political meaning. It essentially went back to its political roots as a symbol of resistance to federal interference. And that all kind of came to a head um, in the early 1950s. The uh, state of Georgia in the mid-50s adopts the the Confederate battle flag as well. Is that right? Yes, it is. And that's, of course, a place uh, it has a direct connection with some of political events uh, that are still part of our dialogue today. Well... We're moving along in the history of the Confederate battle flag, uh, and we're really at what I would argue is, is the most critical era for the ambiguous and conflicting interpretations that make it such a difficult issue today. We're going to take, a, take another break right now, and we'll come back in just a minute to talk about the Confederate battle flag as we get to the 21st century on Civil War Talk Radio. 